0: what's up hello this is admin cubana coming back at you with another episode of the unladylike lounge podcast and today i am joined by belina Beatty. melina how are you today fabulous and happy to be here awesome thank you so much for joining us today and thank you so much for being willing to speak with us about this much needed topic today and i understand that it i I was hoping to get us in this summer, especially with everything going on in the world, especially the United States. Thank you so much, so, so much for all that you do. Why don't you go ahead, take a minute, brag on yourself, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and what it is that we'll be talking about today.
1: Sure, uh, my name's Belina Beatty. Uh, I'm a law professor at Indiana University in Bloomington uh, and originally from Indiana as well, so I'm a Hoosier. Uh, but so. I've been a wrongful convictions litigator for over a decade, and I came to that after being a prosecutor. I prosecuted domestic violence, sexual violence, uh, and then started to really see problems in our system. So I've been doing wrongful convictions work for a while now. And while doing that, I've realized that women and queer people are most likely to be wrongly convicted where no crime occurs. Wow, it's become a real focus of my work. And I have a book called manifesting justice wrongly convicted women reclaim their rights, which dives into all of that. And I think it's especially important right now with all of the uh, real focus and antagonism against queer people. I am a queer woman. uh, And it just keeps getting closer and closer to home.
0: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Now, one thing I did see just when looking up some information for today's episode, you actually got to speak with the Innocence Project. That is huge. That is so huge. Um, what was it like being able to speak with them, work with them? Um, what was that
1: like? Oh, thanks for asking. So uh I worked with the Mississippi Innocence Project for a couple years, and then I founded the West Virginia Innocence Project. Uh, And those are all part of uh, an innocence network of different innocence organizations. And the biggest one, of course, is the Innocence Project. So I've worked with them on a couple of my different cases. uh, And one of the things I'm most proud of is they have a conference every year. uh, And just this past year, I was able to speak at the conference with queer women who had been wrongly convicted uh, and thankfully freed. Uh, and really talk about this issue in front of a whole community of people fighting against wrongful convictions. Uh, So of course, I truly, truly uh, appreciate the work, admire the work, uh, and admire the folks at the National Innocence Project too.
0: Absolutely. Now, a lot of people think this is a new issue, that wrongful convictions or, or convictions of any kind targeting the queer community or women specifically is a new issue. And it's really not, you know, again, doing my research, I found one going back, sorry, let me just pull it up here. Um, there was a case against Miguel Castillo going back to 1989. This is nothing new. Um, how how far back does this stem? I mean, what? where can we see this going back to?
1: Oh, my gosh. You're going to be terrified by the answer, which is think about the Salem Witch Trials, right? All the way back to the Salem Witch Trials. Um, Massachusetts has now fully exonerated... Every person who was uh, hung, murdered as part of the Salem witch trials. So it was acknowledged that they were all wrongly convicted and that they were innocent. But that's how far back it goes. Uh, And specifically, these convictions based on gender tropes, gender stereotypes, uh, really, sexual orientation has been more recent because uh, we, as we have a more vibrant queer community, Uh, that is out, that has faced a response of fear, of wanting to control gender identities. Um, I mean, the control of gender identities, I guess we see really starting after the Civil War, during the era of Reconstruction, where we see increased freedom for Black people, particularly Black men, and we see increased diversity in terms of how people present their gender. So that's when we start to see a crackdown on it, uh, including in California, we see a crackdown and we see these laws that say you have to wear a certain number of pieces of clothing that match your uh, gender at birth. So those laws are old, 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 old. Um, so it's it's been a while.
0: Oh my goodness. Now, one thing that I noticed was that people are are basing these these convictions on on the types of crimes they're saying that sexual crimes or excuse me i i'm i'm trying to be careful with how i word this because i don't i don't want to offend anybody because i i'm bisexual myself so they're they're wanting to to blame crimes homosexual and homosexual crimes. They're saying that they're more heinous, that they're more aggressive, they're more, they're more gruesome. And I'm like, why? Why is this where did this idea even come from? I mean, is this what is this based on? Is there I mean, obviously it's it's to me it's unfounded, but is there any have you seen anything in their in their notes or anything where they can say this is this is how we came to this conclusion that these crimes are stemming from this or that
1: well we can see a straight through line to the laws that have been passing this year that it's based on emotion it's not based on data it's not based on facts it's based on a wave of emotion Mm -hmm. um And just to be clear for listeners, you know, these laws that uh, enforce gender conformity don't just affect queer people. They affect all of us and they affect everyone who is outside of what a certain population in control thinks should be, should be the mainstream. Uh, And these tropes, these criminal tropes of queer people uh, include deviants dangerous, deceptive, uh, that trans people uh, have historically been classified as particularly deceptive uh, and trying to trick people, but that queer people more broadly are, again, stereotypes as dangerous, uh, as you said, that their crimes are even more gruesome, more heinous, and there's literally, there is not the data or information to back it up. It's It's the emotion.
0: Right, right. Um they I did see some some um statistics stating that one in five trans people who have had police contact reported being harassed by police, including thirty eight percent of black trans individuals. Um, that's scary. That is terrifying. Um What can we see as far as these statistics now? Like do we have any data as far as current statistics in in America?
1: We actually do. I'm so glad you asked because Lambda Legal just came out with a guide uh, about queer people and their interactions with police and incarceration. Uh, And it's a great guide. They did it about 10 years ago and just last year they updated it, but it gives you really valuable information. So nearly 50% of Black trans women have had some kind of contact with police, and the criminal legal system. I mean, it's such a heightened number. And we see for trans people uh, that they're over-criminalized at every step in the process. They're over-policed. They're more likely to be arrested. Once they're arrested, they're more likely to face charges and serious charges. And then if they're convicted, they're sentenced to a more severe punishment. So trans people face this greater criminalization at every step in the way.
0: This is, I I know my audience can't see me, but I'm literally, I'm holding back tears right now. This is heartbreaking. This is absolutely heartbreaking because it's, it's one of those moments where you realize just how you knew, we, we knew it was a problem. We knew that this was an issue. We didn't realize how big of an issue. And it's almost that overwhelming, like flow of emotion and how, how do we stop it how do i as one person make a difference you know what i mean and it's i'm sorry i i'm sorry i apologize um
1: no it shows how as, important it is to talk about this right it does
0: Actually. it really does it really does as far as women as far as women and being targeted what is the main what is the main um crime that women are being targeted and wrongfully convicted of?
1: So what we know about wrongful convictions is unfortunately mainly limited to felony wrongful convictions. So most serious convictions. So that's going to be uh, murder and harm to children. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there are so many people who have a misdemeanor charge brought against them, let's say for sex work, or let's say, um, maybe a drug charge, and they're told, okay, if you just plead guilty, you'll be able to go home to your family, you'll be able to get back to your job. I mean, even just a few days in jail, um, waiting to get your charge and go before the court can derail your entire life, right? You can lose your job in that time period. Um, What are you going to do about your kids? Uh, So, There's a lot of people who are coerced into taking a guilty plea, uh, both on misdemeanors and on felony um, offenses, but we just don't know how many people are wrongly convicted of lower level charges. And I think the number is probably enormous. Um, We do know that over 95% of cases nationally end in a guilty plea so this idea that your trial is going to show that you're innocent and you'll have a chance to prove your innocence is sadly it's a lie
0: absolutely especially you know in cases such as we see Sarah Cruzan and Cynthia Brown um yeah. women who are who are convicted of you know killing their their abusers as as young women tried as adults and it's it. Oh, I got goosebumps. I apologize. I am very emotional during this episode. This is, as you said in the beginning, this hits very close to home. Um, yeah. Where, where do laws stand? I mean, obviously, it's different from state to state and on a federal level. But where do laws stand as far as protecting women who are who are you know, say, sold into sex trafficking and and you know stay you know again I'm, I'm trying to watch high word things but escape their abusers through you know in cases like you know sarah cruzan and, and Toya brown um some of these women are children you yeah. know they're and, and they're they're tried as adults that that's scary. That is that is scary. These are children forced into adult situations, and they're convicted as adults. That's horrible. To me, that just seems, me, that just seems insane.
1: It, and not just at all. Um, at all. So I, again, I started as a prosecutor, thinking Mm -hmm. that being a prosecutor was the way that I could stop cycles of violence. I'd been a rape victim advocate. I'd been a domestic violence counselor. Um, And as I kept doing that work, what I also saw were children, frankly, and women who would try to fight back against their abuser, would try to fight back against the person who was trafficking them or assaulting them. Or they were engaging in sex work, and again, were trying to fight for their lives, and there was no mercy for them, none. And I mean, I talk about those in my book as wrongful convictions as well. That that's not the point of our criminal legal system to incarcerate people like Santoya Brown, who is, you know, fighting for her life. Uh, But we have seen for decades women incarcerated uh, and serving. Very long sentences for trying to fight back against the violence that is perpetuated against them again and again. Um, we do have some safe harbor laws now that okay. uh, if girls are arrested for sex work, that Uh, they can be um, protected from getting a conviction and uh, protected from going through the criminal legal system. But, uh, you know, there's a great book called Imperfect Victims by Lee Goodmark that's out right now that Mm -hmm. talks about the number of survivors who, if they call the police for help, uh, that they get arrested, that maybe they get arrested for something Uh, that's totally tangential, like there's drugs in the apartment, so they're arrested for that. Um, They're arrested for uh, resisting the police if they're not doing exactly what the police want. So there's so many ways that um, women in particular who are survivors are criminalized.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. How many whether it be women or members of the queer community,
1: see their wrongful conviction overturned per year? Uh, we don't have good numbers on that, but um, it's very, very hard to reverse your conviction if you were um, convicted based on your gender or sexual orientation in particular. But yeah. from the numbers we do know, nearly 75% of women who were exonerated, so they had their convictions reversed, nearly 75% of them, no crime occurred.
0: Wow. No crime
1: occurred, which sounds crazy. Wow. So, like, what does that even mean? Um, I'll give an example. So Christine Bunch in my state of Indiana, she's at her home with her young son, and there's an electrical fire, and... She gets out. She tries to get her son out, but her son dies. So prosecutors Mm. and police think she murdered her son. And they bring arson charges that she set the fire intentionally, and they bring murder charges. And she was convicted, again, based on gender stereotypes, the bad mom, and was in prison for nearly 20 years for an electrical fire.
0: So there was
1: no crime. And the real problem in those cases is that now our courts, uh, a lot of prosecutors, want DNA proof that someone is innocent. So what is Christine supposed to do? She doesn't have DNA in her case. She can't point to another person who set the fire because there right. is another person. It was yes. a massive fire. Um, so tragically, a lot of queer people and a lot of women continue to be wrongly convicted because they don't have that DNA evidence. There was no crime in their case.
0: Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! What can what advice and, and guidance can you give to somebody who has been wrongfully convicted, or in in this kind of case, you know, there is no DNA what kind of guidance can you give them or who could they reach out to if they are seeking help in their in their situation?
1: Yeah, so I have a whole checklist in the back of my book of different things that uh, people who are wrongly convicted, but also you and me can do to try to address these really big problems and issues, both as individuals and as community movement. Um, so there are organizations, innocence organizations, nationally that uh, fight on behalf of wrongly convicted people. Um, there's also pleadings, so legal pleadings that have been done by other people, and people are starting to bring these claims that, hey, I, gender was one of the main reasons I was wrongly convicted, uh, sexual orientation was one of the main reasons I should get a new trial. That's happening. California just passed a racial justice act that said, if you were convicted based in part on your race, your gender, your sexual orientation, you can raise that to the court and say, I should have a new trial. Um, So uh, those are some steps that that people can do, but I would definitely reach out to the local innocence organization in your state.
0: Incredible. And where can my audience find more of your work and and follow along with your journey as well?
1: Sure. I have a webpage. It's um, myname.com, valenabeety.com, V A L E N A B E E T Y.com.
0: Perfect. And I will be sure to drop that in the description box below. And um, thank you so much, Valena, for joining us today. I appreciate all that you do and all of your hard work to help those who are struggling to prove their innocence it is so needed in today's well obviously not just in today's world as you said going all the way back to Salem Witch Trials I had no idea they exonerated those women that is that alone just gives me chills that is so incredible um, again thank you so much for all of the work that you do and um, to all of our ladies on ladies gentlemen alike as you know I love y'all fiercely <music>